Hi, uh, welcome to Visceral Reflections. My name is Tom, and we have been uh, talking about the stages of faith. And uh, right now we are uh, within that framework talking about identity. And uh, I wanted to go ahead and address um, something that I said last time. And uh, I had made a mention about, quote-unquote, those who believe in evolution. And I was going to talk about this in an apologetic series, but I think uh, it needs to be at, at least touched on here. And so I want to talk about um, identity in regard to origins. And by origins, uh, I mean the, how did the universe get here? How did we get here? How did all the life and earth and so on? Uh, what is the... Um, different beliefs of origins and how does that impact um, our identity, uh, our view of ourselves, our view of people, and our view of God. Uh, I think it's significant. So I want to uh, uh, take a, a look at that over the next couple of episodes. But before we get into that, a couple quick updates. Uh, number one is the Foundational Knowledge blog. Uh, which links to this podcast, uh, has been moved to a new domain. So now it's the website foundationalknowledge.org. That's .org. And uh, the the purpose of moving is to start to create more content and to uh, do a few more things with, multimedia, with rich multimedia. So that's the, the goal. And this won't happen overnight, but uh, it's the beginning of a process. So that's that. Um, I also, um, a few episodes back, I read a uh, faith journey article by Ray Ortland from the Gospel Coalition website, and uh, I was going to post the link on the blog. However, the uh, link to the blog uh, doesn't uh, work well, and so uh, I would say if you want to do that, uh, go to uh, the Gospel Coalition website. The article was from June 21st, and you can read the whole thing. I read about a little more than half of the article, uh, but if you're interested, I, I th- thought it was a compelling story of a biblical scholar who's um, worked his way, working through a lot of the issues that we're working through. So I think it's, it's a good read, and I think you'd find some encouragement there and some wisdom. And so I recommend just going there. I uh, try to embed the link in the, the blog, and uh, it's actually coded to hijack the web, uh, the web page. So, uh, and you can't edit it without disabling it. So, anyhow, that's uh, that's that. And um, one quick thing too: uh, last time also talked about a little bit about eschatology, and. Uh, uh, post-tribulationism and uh, dispensationalism and I was just going to quickly say there's primarily uh, three views um, pre-tribulation a rapture before the tribulation a mid-tribulation a rapture after 42 months and post-tribulation rapture after the, the um, full seven years and I do think mid-tribulation has a, a little merit uh, I kind of have the mid-tribulation tendencies uh, but other than that, just full post-trib. And then um, um, also when I had mentioned dispensationalism and the distinction between the uh, nation of Israel and the church, uh, the there are some, another school of thought in covenant theology that 
uh, looks at that as the church as spiritual Israel. And I, um, I don't accept that. I, I just, I, I look at the fact that uh, historically, um, we've literally talked about Israel in scripture and um, we have Israel today. And even though uh, Israel did not exist as a nation for 2000 years, I believe it was like uh, May 14, 1948, uh, we saw prophecy fulfilled and Israel became a nation again. And the Lord said he would gather his people back from the world, from all the nations, back to Israel. And that happened in 1948. And I think that's significant because um, those who study eschatology, they look at, they mark that as the beginning of uh, a series of events that will lead to the culmination of all things. So... I, I tend to lean that way, and there's a lot of things happening in global politics the, um, that to me are compelling, and they're not uh, Bible prophecy, but I believe they're creating the conditions, things like uh, the alliance built between China and Iran and Russia, uh, the um, vulnerability of the U.S. dollar as the reserve currency at the International Monetary Fund, the fact that the International Monetary Fund now has a competitor that is um, moving to try and take over the reserve currency globally. Uh, so that's a huge problem for America. Uh, we could literally be bankrupt of mass inflation overnight if that happens. And there would be a, a huge problem. There'd be mass starvation globally. Uh, there's a lot of things connected to that because so many nations count on US, uh, the U.S. dollar as the... Um, the uh, value, the the value point, um, I think is a good way to say that. Um, and uh, you know, in Israel, they they reestablished the Sanhedrin, which is like the the ancient court. Um, so there's a lot of things happening that I think are preconditions to the things that ultimately will happen. And so that's what I see occurring. Um, you know, I work in data security. And so as we look at biometrics and the advances there and the move towards a cashless society, uh, that'll be part of it, too, in terms of a global banking system. And um, so anyways, th that's a whole different uh, topic. But I wanted to mention it because I look at it and um, to me, dispensationalism is compelling. And I know that... Um, I look at the events of the world and, um, you know, it, I'm making a lot of connections in my head as I see it and, you know, not to be a, a do end time prophecy in any way, but just to be wise in observing what are the potential implications of the things that are unfolding. And, um, uh, so yeah, that's what, uh, I believe is happening. Um, you know, I think America won the revolutionary war. Uh, against all odds. Uh, I think there was some divine providence there because we needed to win World War II. Uh, and that was significant uh, after the persecution of the Jews uh, by Nazi Germany that the reestablishment of Israel would, would come out of that four years later. Uh, so to me, that that's also compelling. So anyhow, um, a lot of good books on these subjects. And, um, you know, if you really want to dive into it, um, but, uh, and the rise of Islam, I think is compelling as well. So, uh, I know a lot of people think the Antichrist will come out of, 
uh, ancient Rome, or Adam, sorry, out of the Roman Empire, the reemergence of the Roman Empire. Um, personally, I think the, the, that um, Antichrist will come out of Islam, and largely because uh, most of the nations, part of the Roman Empire, you know, 2,000 years ago, today are Islamic countries. And so you can make a compelling case. Um, and some people have written, so Joel Richens written a great book on it, on the Islamic Antichrist. So anyways, um, you can, we can get really deep in the weeds on that. So I'm going to stop there. But I just wanted to mention that because I threw it out there and I didn't explain it. And, um, but I did want to uh, circle back and touch on it because I think understanding that the order of events, uh, the fact that if we do see the tribulation unfold in our lifetime, that I, I worry about an apostasy. Jesus said there will be an apostasy. And Paul said there will be an apostasy. And I, I think we need to do our best right now to inform people to, I don't so that people don't think they missed the rapture, frankly, um, you know, because, because they haven't studied this stuff. So I just wanted to uh, put that out there. Um, Anyhow, uh, the last thing I was going to mention is there's a new email address, info at foundationalknowledge.org. If you want to email questions, um, you can do that, and or comments. I'll take comments, um, you know, whatever, whatever you'd, uh, however you'd like to do that if, you, if, you, if anyone wishes. So um, uh, that's about it. So anyhow... Um, in talking about origins and identity, um, I, did, I did want to introduce that tonight. It's a big topic, and actually I'm doing some research right now uh, for a book that I'm writing on uh, what, on having a biblical worldview and the importance of that. And, um, and so some of what I'm going to share is, is, um, is from some of my research. But uh, essentially I think this is an important topic because... Uh, when we look at identity, you know, I've, I've talked about when we look at people that, um, you know, instead of being judgmental, we can actually start to find our common ground with them and we should seek that immediately. And we need to start with they're created in the image of God. They're plagued by sin. They need a savior. Jesus died for their sins. And by faith, uh, they can enter into a relationship with God, receive the grace and mercy that we've received and a secure eternal, have, uh, be part of God's kingdom, have eternal life. And so that's the common ground we have with every person. And I think it's important for believers to find that common ground when the Lord brings people into our path. And when we talk about that foundational, those are, everything I just mentioned is, is doctrinal. But if you uh, believe in evolution, then uh, you undermine a lot of those doctrines. So uh, what I want to do, I think I just said this, uh, introduce this tonight. Um, The next episode, I'm going to talk about um, our biblical theology and how our doctrines are undermined by the theory of evolution, or I should say the the religion of evolution, really. It's not a theory. Uh, Theories are testable. Um, It's really a, a system of faith itself, like any religion. And then, um, and then I want to look at some of the scientific data and, uh, see what, uh, where that falls best into theories or, 
um, <laughs> beliefs about origin. Um, so used to seeing theory, but you know, uh, creationism or uh, biblical creation is also uh, not a theory. It's a uh, belief that we take by faith. And I think uh, biblical creation uh, is an essential doctrine. And somewhere along the line, the church um, gave that up because they started to believe uh, that evolution was, in fact, a fact. And uh, I got to tell you, I have found zero evidence for evolution. It's not scientific. We have data and all data is interpreted uh, is, uh, by what you believe. So it's colored by your beliefs. But it's, there's big, big gaps in it. And frankly, uh, in the um, Charles Darwin, chapter six of The Origin of Species, uh, called Difficulties on Theory, uh, talked about some of the problems of his theory. And he thought future science would solve those. It's funny because Freud, in his writings on psychoanalysis, did the same thing. Uh, he thought future brain science would, would um, validate him. And um, so both of them are, are found wanting in regards to um, what future science has produced. And, um, you know, there is, there is some validity to some of the psychoanalysis. Uh, Freud got into problems where he started to uh, add to it and philosophize around what he had discovered. And it was painted by his own atheism. Um, so, uh, but with Freud, or I'm sorry, with Darwin, I don't think the origin of species would be published today. Uh, I think he would, he didn't know about DNA. He didn't know about, um, cellular structure. And so there's a lot of, uh, science that we've, uh, come across where, uh, people are calling it into question. And there, a lot of books have been written about it. Uh, Michael Behay, um, Behe wrote Dar Dar uh, Darwin's Black Box about the argument of irreducible complexity at a cellular level. And that's a devastating blow to, to um, spontaneous generation and to uh, makes a compelling uh, case um, for design, um, even though he's, he's not a Christian. He's just a scientist making an observation and um, Evolution, the Theory and Crisis, another good book, also written um, by a scientist who is, um, I forgot his name, Michael Creighton. I have to look it up. Um, but he is also um, not a believer. And, and there, we're seeing more and more of these come on the market. So um, as, as Christians, though, we need to take a look at our theology and we need to understand uh, where this fits in because I think that if we have the doubts about the book of Genesis, uh, where do we draw the line? Is it, do you not believe in Genesis 1, Genesis 1 and 2, Genesis 1, 2, and 3? If you get rid of those, you get rid of creation, you get rid of marriage, uh, you get rid of um, sin and uh, the role of the devil. So there's a number of things that are compromised uh, when, when we um, abandon uh, biblical creation. Um, another thing, you know, frankly, um, you know, when we look at um, Scripture, uh, you know, for me, one of the compelling things is, um, well, first let me say this. Um, people in their attacks on the Bible have 
started to suggest, or I suggest they've written about, that um, Genesis is uh, in the creation account, that that's just poetry and that science has proven evolution. Uh, however, it's not poetry. It's, it's a narrative history. And uh, Hebrew scholars, whether in uh, Christianity or Judaism, uh, they all agree. And I, when I say that they all agree, I literally am saying they all agree. So people who know Hebrew, they look at, at it and say that it doesn't have the structure of Hebrew poetry. It's written as a narrative. And all of the, the rules of literary structure that go into the Hebrew language um, there all point to it being narrative history. So I think that's important to know because um, I have heard a, a number of leaders in the church over the years um, allude to it or talk about it and or just avoid it altogether. And um, I think it's time that we stand up for it. And, and frankly, a number of apologetic ministries have, and they've written, written books on it, um, and there's good arguments for it. Um, and uh, Gleason Archer's Intro to the Old Testament is a great one. Uh, Norman Geisler and his introduction, General Introduction to the Bible um, is another good one. And um, they, so there's some, there's some good resources that we have access to to talk about, um, uh, about Genesis. So, um, but what I started to say before is for me, one of the compelling things is that Jesus quoted Genesis and I'm just not bold enough to, to disagree with Jesus. Uh, so if you want to tell Jesus he's wrong, you know, in Matthew 19, he quotes, um, uh, Genesis one and he talks about the creation of marriage and he talks about in the beginning, God created the male and female and in, uh, Mark 10 also talks about creation uh, in Matthew 24, he talks about Noah and the Genesis flood. Um, you know, in Luke 17, a little further up in uh, um, in Genesis, he says, talks about Sodom and Gomorrah and and uh, Lot and remember Lot's wife. Luke 17:32. So Jesus quoted Genesis and he quoted it as if it were a, a narrative history. He never quoted it as. Um, part of an allegory or part of a story or part of a parable. He, uh, Jesus often says, have you not read? Have you not read? Have you not read? And, and especially talking to the Pharisees, have you not read? And so I think that's important. Now you might be thinking at this point, okay, this is visceral reflections. This sounds like more academic, uh, apologetic theology, uh, or apologetics and theology. Um, so why are you talking about it here? Well, uh, let me explain. Um, early on, when I explained what visceral reflections was, uh, I tried to draw out that uh, visceral reflections uh, is when you have that visceral truth, knowledge, awareness in, in your gut and in your bones. And so when we talk about head knowledge to heart knowledge to our affections and that trans- transformation, then you have that uh, visceral validation or that visceral truth. So uh, we've talked about this many times. The truth is important to God. And uh, Jesus identified himself as the truth. And the Bible is referred to as the truth. Um, you know, it's, if you want to find exercise, go look up all the verses where the Bible talks about itself. And you'll have a catalog of truth. Uh, and the Holy Spirit's called the spirit of truth. So... 
Um, when I talk about visceral reflections, for me, what it really is, is connecting uh, the ethereal with the visceral in our inner man and collect, connecting heavenly things with our interior and our spiritual man. You know, Paul refers to this as spiritual wisdom and spiritual truth that we speak, yeah, that we, allows us to speak in spiritual words. In John chapter 3, verse 12, Jesus told Nicodemus uh, when he was after in the conversation on you must be born again. He says, if I have told you uh, uh, physical things and you don't believe them, how in the world are you going to believe um spiritual things or heavenly things um, when I speak them to you. And so uh, Jesus shines a light on this and that we need to, um, you know, as we grow up in the faith and we walk by faith and not by sight, that um, the more we get the word of God into us, the more we start to see the layers of meaning in scripture and the more that we can... um, uh, start to uh, see what the eyes of our hearts, Paul says in um, Ephesians 1.18. And so I think these are all important, but I think when Jesus called this out to Nicodemus, um, he shined a light on, uh, you've heard me talk about physical realities and spiritual realities. And um, the spiritual realities, like in John 3, was you must be born again. Or um, Ephesians uh, 2, uh, we've been raised with Christ. Or Ephesians 1, uh, we were called from the foundation of the world. Um, or, um, oh, there's so many. Uh, Colossians 1, 2, and 3 uh, also have a lot of those in there. Um, so anyways, I, I want to point that out. Uh, but there's other, those are the problems. If we give up biblical creationism, I think there's about 33 Psalms that talk about creation. Um, John chapter 1 talks about Jesus as the creator. So our Savior is the creator. And um, uh, so if he's not the creator, is he still the Savior? Because we see in Colossians 1.16 that Jesus is the creator. We see it again in Hebrews chapter 1 um, that uh, Jesus is the creator. We see in John 8.58 uh, when he said, uh, you know, they're picking up stones to stone him because he said... I am has sent me unto you. And so they knew that when he said I am, he was uh, referring uh, to himself as deity and quoting um, Exodus 3.14. So those are, um, those are things that we need to consider because if we give up biblical creation in Genesis chapter 1, 2, and 3, well, really chapter 1 and 2, um, we have to give up a lot of other scripture. Uh, the book of Revelation uh, talks all about um, creation, that Jesus is the Alpha the Omega, the creator, and that in the restoration of all things, that there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. So if we're going to have a new heaven and a new earth, is that going to be through evolution? Or is that going to be an act of, of a creation? Is, is God going to just, you know... Um, um, you know, create it, you know, through spoken word as, as we see, um, throughout the Psalms, they often talk about that the Lord called things into existence. So I think we need to, to, um, um, take a really hard look at this topic, which is why I want to do the next few episodes on it. Um, you know, one passage that really stands out to me is Romans chapter one, starting at verse 20. 
and uh, since the creation of the world, God's uh, majesty and his invisible power and divine attributes have been clearly seen by what has been made so that men are without excuse. And as you go through those uh, next uh, 12 verses, uh, you see that, you know, we have exchanged the truth to God for a lie. We've uh, professed to be wise. We became um, fools and we worship and serve creatures rather than the creator. And so uh, if you take a look at those 12 verses uh, from the perspective of creation, I think that's important. Um, important part of what we're going to get into. And I'm going to talk about that more when we go over um, evolution and biblical theology. And uh, another part of, the, of that is also in Romans 5. The, the Paul talks about the first Adam and the last Adam. And so we can't have a figurative Adam uh, and then a literal Adam. So uh, Paul certainly thought that Adam was uh, literally a, a man that was created. And then Jesus in the process of redemption is uh, the last Adam or the second Adam. So huge uh, theological implications if we forsake that. Um, And then there's so many areas we can get into. You know, um, uh, back in the 70s, scientists ran out Australopithecus africanus, the Lucy, as the, the missing link. And so it's like, okay, well, at what point was there accountability? At what point did sin enter the world? Um, you know, we know that death entered the world, biblical theology, we know that death entered the world uh, at the fall in uh, Genesis chapter 3. Uh, but according to um, evolution, uh, we had uh, all kinds of death before a man appeared through the evolutionary processes. And so uh, there's a disconnect there. And this is a huge problem for people who uh, teach uh, theistic evolution. Um, I know some Christians have gone down that road and teaching that God used evolution to create. Uh, It's just foolish. It's nonsense. Um, There's also progressive creationism has been sort of a, um, a, a way to try and make theistic evolution more palatable. A professor at Wheaton College came up with that and using sort of taking sort of a, a deistic form of view of God that uh, periodically uh, steps in to uh, correct and get things back on track and so it's like okay is this theism or deism it sounds like both and um, and deism is just if you don't know what that is that's just a, a view of God that, that the God has put things in motion, it's sort of a mechanistic view, and then um, uh, and then God is uh, taking his hands off, so there's no providence, there's no sovereignty, um, and there's no, really, there's no relationship with God in that view. Um, so I was uh, surprised to learn that that came out of Wheaton College, uh, which is, I've always thought of as a strong Christian school. So anyhow, there's um, a lot to this topic and we want to get more into it. Um, and the other thing I want to talk about, too, is um, the purpose of all of this. Um, I started out talking about finding our common ground with man. If you look at what evolution says, um, it's about survival of the fittest, that um, through the struggle to survive, um, that life is... is um, 
cleansing the gene pool. And frankly, historically, I mean, that's what Adolf Hitler thought. And um, so in his book, Mein Kampf, he uh, wrote about the struggle to survive. Uh, Mein Kampf translated actually means the struggle, which is taken from the Darwin principle. And so he used, um, what he did is he took a, what he thought was a scientific rationale to achieve a political end. And that's why he murdered the Jews and the gays and the blacks and the Christians and everybody else that was not of um, the area and liking that he was pursuing. And he just wrote it and it was out there. So uh, Winston Churchill said, you know, how could you read this book? I think he wrote in The Gathering Storm, how could you read this book and not realize you're dealing with a madman? Well, uh, we, um, the reason that that happened is, is nobody believed him. Um, and it's like, okay, yeah, he's uh, eccentric. Um, but no, he, uh, he used um, this quote-unquote uh, scientific evidence for um, genocide. So, um, and I think that happens on, on a microscopic level at a more local level and in our culture, because we teach this stuff in school, um, you know, the, um, through litigation, lawyers have gotten the Bible out of school, started with the Scopes trial, um, started, then I went to a number of lawsuits over the years, uh, the Louisiana balance treatment trial, um, uh, some other books on that. Wendell Bird wrote a two-volume series called Origin of Species Revisited, and he goes through some of the uh, court cases of that. Uh, Norman Geiser wrote a book called Creator in the Courtroom, where he looks at the Louisiana Balanced Treatment Act, which was an attempt to give teachers the right to teach both. Um, and even though the creationists won that court case, it was through litigation and appeal. Um, uh, basically bankrupting the plaintiff, you were able, they were able to get it overturned. Um, so there's a lot of that sort of nonsense that's gone on in, uh, through um, the legal system. And I think it's just important for us to kind of be aware of that um, because, um, you know, it, it's not taught in school because it's been validated. It's uh, taught in school because it's been shoved down our throats by uh, people who want to fight the gospel, frankly. That's the, the bottom line. That's what it comes down to. So, um, uh, but I, I, I just want to close in saying this. Um, I put, I started with talking about finding our common ground. And here's where all of this rolls up into identity. When we um, think about this and survival of the fittest, we got to understand, um, in philosophy, in the School of Ethics, uh, there is um, two terms that are used in, in uh, the evaluating life. And one is to see life as having intrinsic value, and the other is to see life as having instrumental value. And when you have intrinsic value, that means you have inherent worth, you have dignity, and your value is not in your utility, but your value is in your existence. It's in your personhood. And so in um, uh, the biblical view of man, because man is created in the image of God, every person has dignity. Every person has inherent value. Every person has intrinsic value. Now, instrumental value 
it means that your value is based on your utility. And so when you look at instrumental value, then that is, you're only as good as what we can get out of you or what you can be used for. And so this is something that's commonly applied to animals. For example, a, a chicken's um, utility value or instrumental value is laying eggs. And they provide eggs for society, and, you know, that's a great value to us. You know, cows uh, provide steak, and um, sheep provide wool for clothing, and uh, pigs provide bacon, and um, on and on. So we get a lot of resources from the animal kingdom that are used um, for a human good. And... um, so we want to understand those two concepts because we want to make sure that we are not treating people with instrumental value. And historically, it's just happened. So we have seen, uh, well, you know, the most obvious example is slavery. And, um, you know, that's been going on for centuries, long before America was established. And so we, we know slavery existed in ancient Rome, in ancient Egypt, in ancient Syria, in ancient Babylon, um, you know, Israel was um, put uh, taken into captivity and, and slavery um, for centuries, uh, different periods of time with uh, Egypt and with Babylon. So, um, so historically, that's one example where, we, where we've seen that, and uh, today we see it with human trafficking, and there's still slavery in the world. Um, so we need to just know that that is not a, not a biblical view of the inherent dignity of man and that uh, God has created people in his image, male and female. He created them, Genesis says. So we need to, to be aware of that. You know, and, and frankly, in our culture, um, this still happens. The, the most uh, common example um, is probably... Um, fornication and adultery and you know so when you um, use somebody for sex that is um, not your spouse or if you're not married um, you're basically uh, treating a person when it's having instrumental value to satisfy a biological need and um, you know it is very uh, popular in our culture you know, we, we, I hear, you heard the terms hookup culture and friends with benefits and one night stand. All of that is, goes against um, who God created us to be and the dignity of man, the inherent worth of the other person that you're using. And um, so it's just, it's something we need to be aware of. And I think we become desensitized to this. And <clears throat> I say all that to say this, when we... Um, when we look at evolution and we get used to seeing life through those lenses of, um, instru- of in- seeing life as having instrumental value, um, it also impacts our view of ourselves. And so we may um, say, oh, no, you know, yeah, I believe in evolution, but now I believe in Jesus and I walk with God and all this on a subconscious level we still are embracing that view of ourselves that we are evolved slime um, that we were not a special creation I talked last time about how we all have fingerprints 
And, you know, Psalm 139, we're fearfully and wonderfully made. So this is why the diligence of watching what we put in our mind is important because we can embrace these beliefs and be unaware of it. You know, I had mentioned a while back uh, automaticities and those patterns of behavior that we have learned by um, repetition or, um, uh, you know, yeah, well, largely by repetition. And so there's something called the adaptive unconscious that records these patterns of behavior. And so if we're not aware of our patterns of behavior, then um, we can easily fall down this road uh, when it comes to, to moral, moral and ethical value judgments. So I, I think we need to be that. That's an important part of our self-awareness um, because um, um, I think we're, we're susceptible to many things. We have many influences. And um, that, along with the spiritual warfare element and our sin nature and um, uh, the fact that we have human needs and... Um, and it's not just sex. It could be um, a variety of things, um, substance abuse, um, you know, alcohol abuse, um, you know, oh, whatever. I'm just um, shopping, you know, shop, I've heard shopping therapy is something I've heard a, a lot of, about. So anyhow, I just I put that out there because I think we need to understand that when we embrace a biblical worldview of man, um, that we start to embrace that intrinsic value and our own intrinsic value. And when we really believe our own intrinsic value, then we can um, be able to see other people more clearly as having that. And it, uh, it can be hard. Uh, it can be very difficult, if you, especially if you had to pray. If God has pressed down on you to pray for someone who's hurt you or uh, pray for someone who's uh, betrayed you, um, you know, those are hard places to, to, to get to, um, but you can learn to do it. And, um, you know, I, I just, I, I share that because uh, we all have experiences and we all have our stories and we have to, uh, be aware of that. And, um, I think once we have this proper view of, um, origins, uh, we can begin to identify it in ourselves where we fall short and then, um, uh, you know, begin to work on it uh, so that we can see ourselves the way that uh, God sees us, um, which is really, I think, where we want to get to. Anyhow, um, that's basically it. I just wanted this as a quick introduction. And um, uh, next time I want to get more into... Uh, uh, the theology and um, and then after that take a look at the science um, so yeah I w- this was going to be part of an apologetic series but I think it fits in here as I started thinking about how it relates to identity and so I wanted to introduce it tonight so <coughs> excuse me um, I hope this has some value and I um, uh, just want to um uh, pray now. Father God, thank you for tonight. Uh, thank you for your encouragement. Thank you for your word. Uh, thank you for the scriptures that you've shared with us tonight. And um, Father God, I just pray now that even now you prepare the hearts of anyone who's going to hear this. I pray that it would um, 
it would be enlightening. I pray that it would be convicting. I pray that it would provoke, uh, promote conversation and that we could uh, begin to start to think about um, this important topic that we've uh, taken for granted in our uh, society. We just sort of accepted it. And I think we, I don't think we should. So, um, Father God, I just pray that you prepare hearts now uh, for whoever's going to hear this. And Lord, I just pray that you continue to uh, speak to my heart and help me to find any uh, points of clarification or anything that was, should have been added tonight that was left out. Uh, we just thank you and we praise you and we're grateful. And Father God, thank you for the Lord Jesus. Thank you for calling us into your kingdom. Thank you <coughs> for your salvation and the free gift that you offer us. And Lord Jesus, thank you for um, coming down and enduring the cross and despising the shame for the joy set before you so that we could be children of God. We thank you and we praise you and we're grateful and we pray all this in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen.